Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Podcast. Stories by leaders for leaders to help you raise the bar on your own excellence to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange. We're it's Russell and Hugh again, and we're we're broadcasting live on Facebook, and we got some people uh, with us on the webinar. We'll give a chance for people to ask questions, and usually um, we have a really special guest, and today is not an exception. Today, uh, this is a brand new friend who I just met two days ago. Only two days ago. <laughs> two days ago, um, he's a pastor of a church here that's just making a difference. My wife and I am. Um, went Sunday and we felt like we were home and it became evident to me, you know, Russell, we talk about leaders creating cultures and that the culture is a reflection of a leader. And I saw that really powerful manifestation on Sunday. There was gracious hospitality and there was spirited worship and people were engaged not only with themselves, but with us. And that comes from a, a leader being very clear on their vision. So our topic today is about forming a vision and then having that vision manifest itself in the organization that you lead. We're talking about a church today. Mm-hmm. This, this principle would, would work in any organization. It's just more powerful in, in this setting. So um, Bishop Younger, welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange. Thank you, Hugh. And um, we like people to talk about themselves for a minute. Uh, describe you know, what brought you where you are today. A little bit about Bishop Younger. Well, my name is Shante Younger. I'm from a large city. Well, I always say a large city. It was large for me. I grew up in a one-stop light town called Gretna, Virginia. <laughs> so uh, I always tell people to give them a, a construct of how small the town was. We didn't have a name brand grocery store. Uh, the grocery store carried the name of the family who owned it. So there was no Food Lion or Harris Teeter, no Walmart. It was the Amos Fine Foods because the Amos family owned it. Uh, But I gained so much from that small town. It gave me a sense of community. Um, I was raised with a great family, a spiritual family, a family who made things work. And so, uh, yes, that's, that's my upbringing. My, my, uh, I think when we talk about leadership, I didn't know it, but I believe maybe the Lord was preparing me for leadership uh, all of my life. My, my grandmother always said that uh, she saw leadership in me, that the kids were following me. And uh, so, yeah, so some, there's always a discussion about whether a, leadership, a leader is born or a leader, a leader is made. I think it's a little bit of both. Well, you took that mantle on and mm-hmm. blessings to your grandmother who said you are a leader. Yes. And you said, okay, right. let me add it. Right. Um, and so you're in ministry. We're, we're in Lynchburg, Virginia, mm-hmm. and your church is a mile from where we're sitting in my house. Correct. And um, so what was your journey to start? Did you start this church? Yes. I started this church actually 13 years ago. It'll be our church will be 13 years old in about two weeks. So I've been telling everybody in two weeks it will be our church's bar mitzvah. Oh, you know? oh, oh. It'll be our bar mitzvah. And our friend is going to be here. Yes. Dr. Kevin Williams. Yes, sir. From Greensboro, North Carolina will be here, which we met, you know, just several years ago. Uh, I'm not going to say by chance, but by God's sovereignty. And uh, we've been connected ever since. And look, he connected us. Ooh. 
You know, so, um, I'm a recovering, I think I told you I'm a recovering Scottish Presbyterian. There is this Calvin predestination thing. <laughs> right, right. But go ahead. This yes, is, yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we need 13. to talk about that one day. Yeah. 13. 13 is our bar mitzvah. Yeah. Uh, I came to Lynchburg not to start a church. I came to Lynchburg because it was my desire to be normal for one time in my life. All of my life, I've heard this stuff, God's hand is on you. You're special. There's a special calling on your life, which I believe it's on everyone. But I finally got to a point where I didn't want to be special um, because I believe the word chosen doesn't deal with being special. I think the word chosen has more to do with a responsibility. And I felt the weight of that responsibility. So I came to Lynchburg to run away from any leadership per se when it came to ministry. I went to school to become a school teacher. Oh, I came to Liberty. My major uh, is English and my minor is history. So I just wanted to be a school teacher. And, um, and the Lord interrupted that. Um, <laughs> you know, what, what the, I said on Sunday, the angel of the Lord comes and tells Mary, hey, favor is on you. Well, most of the time, the favor of God displaces your plans. But you were paying attention. I was paying attention. I was paying, you know, fear not. He starts out with fear not. Anytime the Lord says fear not, that's because it's probably something uh, that he's about to say that will probably scare the living daylights out of you. And, uh, and we started the church in the living room of my apartment, my duplex apartment. 13 years later, we are an umbrella church for about 17 churches in the States, uh, churches in India and a church in Brazil. And so God is doing some great things from that small town. The Lord has taken me all around the world, uh, preaching the gospel from Mongolia uh, to South Africa uh, to Nairobi, Kenya, uh, just all over the world. Canada, just sharing uh, the gospel. Wow. Wow. And um, doing leadership training. Oh, you were in Brazil two weeks ago. Yes, I just got what back were on you teaching? Saturday. I was teaching, I was teaching a back of chapter two. I was talking about vision and talking about leadership. Oh, yeah. and so that's... Uh, that's sort of what we're going to talk about today. Okay. Is I think um, I meet a lot of leaders doing mm-hmm. a lot of different things. And as you may know, I served inside the church for 40 years. You just told me that today. 40 years. Oh, yeah. my goodness. I was very young when I started. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, sorry. It's still young. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. It's just scary when I look in the mirror. Um, so um, and that was a I knew from a very early age. That's what I wanted to do. Okay. And I, I got a job that I had no qualifications for, which was music ministry. Okay. I studied music, but I really hadn't got the qualifications for doing this choir thing. But it, I was serious about it. Wow. And I, I had a clear vision for that was me. That was me. Um, but I meet a lot of leaders that really don't know. And they think, well, we're going to have the church. We're going to have the board. We're going to have the committees right. come up with a vision. And as I shared with you, a bishop that I worked with, uh, in, in middle Tennessee said, I don't know anywhere in the Bible that God gave a vision to a committee. Mm-hmm. That's the leader's duty and delight. That's right. And that, that can be very controversial, especially depending on how people's church structures are set up. But I always have said this, the eyes are in the head. Say more. The eyes are in the head. So you must have a head and anything with more than one head is a monster. And, uh, and if there's more than one vision, it becomes a division. It becomes division. And, and um, Amos 3 and 3 ask a question, and I think we can answer the prophet's question. It says, how can two walk together except they agree? And that's in a marriage, that's in a business, 
that's in a ministry. And so someone must be the visionary or the one who cast the vision. Mm-hmm. Uh, something happened as, and, and this was tested in me earlier because I was a youth pastor. I was a worship leader under my pastor, Bishop Hall, just a great man of God. And he had a vision that we were going to move into a larger facility. And one Sunday after church, he says, I want everyone to follow me. All the leaders come with me. I'm going to show you something. And he took us to this building. It was this big warehouse on the side of the highway and it was a it was painted red and and we walked in and come to find out it had been in uh, a farming equipment um uh, auction building where they brought farm equipment in and they auctioned so it was a huge building with a cement slab floor and it was painted red and he (laughs) we walked in and he said this is our new church and i remember saying Moses has brought us out here to die. <laughs> I didn't see it. He was like, he was like, the, the pulpit is going to be here. The, I mean, it wasn't a meeting. He wasn't having a meeting saying, you know, you know, uh, let's decide if this is our church. He was like, this is our church. Uh-huh. And I didn't see it. But that's when the Lord spoke to my heart. And I spoke it out loud that the eyes are in the head. The eyes are in the head. And so I may be the legs of the ministry. Somebody else may be the arms. Our whole thing is to let the head communicate to us what he sees and we're to get behind it and try to make it uh, come to pass. Wow. Russell takes in a lot of stuff and he'll ask you the real hard questions. Oh, he'll, he'll come in. He'll come be in nice from, to me, Russell. From time to I'm time. new. <laughs> he's a, uh, he's a, he's a deep thinker. Um, so, and, and Russell, I guess you've had the same experience. There's a whole lot of leaders that, well, it's, it's either one side or the other. They got no vision. They want people to help them. They got a thing they do. Or they got it all chopped all up. I want to do all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we know a couple of those, you know, we're going to do all of these things. So what your bishop did was, this is what we're doing. Right. He claimed it. He communicated it with enthusiasm. So with enthusiasm, right. I, I could tell how you described it. <laughs> this is it. He didn't say it with a question mark. I think some leaders make that mistake. Mm-hmm. They come with a statement that kind of ends out grammatically with a question mark. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's hard for people to follow someone who's not sure about where they're going. Mm-hmm. And people wonder. And people why, wonder. Why is nobody following me? Yeah. He made it they with an exclamation mark. Even if he had, even if he was nervous about it himself, we didn't know it. Let's unpack this vision thing. Okay. So, so it starts with the leader. Mm-hmm. And so there's formulating your vision. What was your challenge in getting clarity? Now, a vision is your concept. It's, right. it's the identifying the, the why. You know, here's what we're doing. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is what it's about. It's a concept. And it's, it's defining the future, really in a compelling, not boring, in a compelling way. Mm-hmm. And it's very, very precise, concise, and profound. So what goes into that in your mind? How, how do you struggle in, or did you struggle, or did it just come to you? I, I think all of us, you know, I struggle. Because uh, the truth is, God always does what he says he's going to do, but sometimes it doesn't look like what we thought it was going to look like. Mm. And so, Russ, we're constantly going back and forth. And this is why the Bible says in Habakkuk chapter two, it finally says, it first says Habakkuk went away to himself. He climbed up to a high place to be with God. 
And I think sometimes we're so overexposed to other people's lives and what other people are doing and how they are doing it, that it can actually be a distraction and obstruct our vision. And, um, and that's one thing about social media. Social media is great, but if, you, if you're too overexposed, you start comparing. Mm-hmm. And the only challenge with that is all of us don't have the same assignment. And some of us may have similar visions, but the way about going about it may, God may take us a different way. And so the Bible said Habakkuk stood by himself, got, got from the Lord, heard the word of the Lord. And then the Lord told him to write the vision. And so that's why I challenge every leader, every business person, as you're getting it, write it because vision is something here, but the first visible manifestation of your vision is when you write it. That's the first form of when it starts to become real. I mean, it's very real here, but the, the, the first form of it being made known in a physical form is when you can look down on the paper. And then he says, don't only write the vision, but make it plain. What do you mean? Make it plain. If I wrote it, it's plain, right? No, the truth is Russ, it can make sense to us, you know? And if somebody else come, they're like, so what does this mean? It says, make it plain. That means it's okay. It must be some rough drafts going back on for Why? Because somebody needs to read it so they can run with it. And the challenge with some of us pastors and some of us leaders have made, and that some of the, some of the mistakes we've made is that we were so sure about what we wanted, but we did not put it in a form where people could understand it. And, Leadership is not what you get accomplished, but what you get accomplished through the people you lead. So if they don't get it, you've dropped it. Okay, I'm gonna stop talking to you. No, no. Hey, Russ, he's he's preaching our song, isn't he? You know, this all makes perfect sense. And yeah, nothing was ever created. Nothing but nothing. Everything originated in the mind of God. We're creative like that because our mind is that mind when we're plugged mm-hmm. in. And nothing, I mean, even the chair, the buildings that we're sitting in, somebody had to sit down and do a drawing to come up with a a scheme for how this uh, apartment is going to look, how your home is going to look, how condos, skyscrapers, everything. So it it has to start somewhere. And on the topic of writing, give yourself permission to have a crappy first draft. Because okay. all of this stuff that you walk into a Barnes and Noble and pick off the shelf, oh, this is beautiful. It's probably been rewritten eight, 10, or 12 times to make sure that what's in there is clear and that the message that the author's trying to send you is clear. Because a confused mind always says no. So the brilliance uh, of what your pastor did was. He took the group of you into that warehouse. This is brilliant because I know that he was thinking, well, I can sit down and explain it to him. But he was excited. He wanted to to get that excitement and share that vision on a real uh, scale. So he took you into this warehouse. It was probably big and dusty and empty. And said, look at this. This is ours. This is going to happen he made a declaration in line with the fact that it's God's good pleasure to give us the universe, asking it'll be given. And so he went 
from that mindset. And here's the pulpit and here's where the choir's gonna sit and we're gonna put the organ here and just laid all of this out and people are starting to think, well, you know, he might be ready for a learn to love yourself jacket because he's really going off the deep end. <laughs> His intention was to excite people, maybe scare the crap out of them too. Well, you know, he, he, um, yeah. he had um, he let something out here that triggered a thought for me. I don't know if he, when he was talking about manifesting in, into reality, um, the clarity of that. Thank you for that clarity, Russell. The leaders do. We live in the future. We don't right. live in the past. Yeah, and, and everybody else catches up with us. So we, we, we detail that vision so they know how to catch up. Well, you're talking about uh, when Napoleon Hill met Andrew Carnegie. Mm-hmm. and did his research and he said you'll work for me for 20 years for free i'll introduce you to important people and he said yes within tw- two minutes so he got the job for free for 20 years but carnegie said to him any idea that's held in the mind that's uh, and emphasized that's either feared or revered will begin at once to manifest itself into the most convenient and appropriate physical form available now that's a written, mm. that's your written vision, your written goals. Those are both would qualify. And the, what you just clearly articulated was our dream is here. Once you write it down, that's your vision. That's, mm. that's the journey. You've committed to something, which is so key. So um, that's a powerful story. What is your, tell us what ramp is. Okay. And then what is your vision for ramp? Okay. Uh, everyone always asks us, why in the world did you name your church The Ramp? It was not even intended to be a name that stayed with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Ramp supposed to have been just a name over the planning stage, but it just, it stuck with us. I was looking for what to call it. And when we were looking for a building, because uh, I was going to name the church Lighthouse Tabernacle or something like that, um, a traditional mm-hmm. church name. And um, when I was looking for properties and buildings, Someone told me you must make sure that if you have a public building, that you have uh, you have a building where everyone has access to it, mm-hmm. that it's uh, a handicap accessible, that it's a ramp oh. available, that no matter what their handicap is, they can get in the building. And I says, "Oh my goodness, isn't that what the church supposed to be? Mm-hmm. It's supposed to be a ramp." to get people into the presence of God, to, to connect people into relationship with God. We're not the destination. We're the connector. Mm. And um, so people have made it uh, acronyms over the years, but really it's the word ramp. It means an inclined surface leading from one level to the next. And, uh, the, but the acronym that we use for marketing and evangelism is reaching as many possible. Ooh. That's what the ramp uh, that's what the Ram does. We are a multicultural church. Um, we are a, we, we say non-denominational church because we don't believe that uh, that the whole body of Christ is made up of people who just think and believe just like us. Um, we believe that he has a diversity of believers across the denominational spectrum. But when you worship with the Ram, there are elements of our worship that comes from the culture that the people of our church bring to the church. So you're going to hear hymns from the Baptist church. You're going to see dancing from the Pentecostals. You're going to see liturgical vestments when we do the Holy Eucharist that comes more from an Episcopalian Lutheran 
uh, background. So it's all of that, you know, coming together. CCM worship, because a lot of us were students at Liberty University when we started. And the black gospel sound, it comes from, we're down south and a bunch of us are black people. So, so it's a whole <laughs> pot. And oh, and we have we have black people in Denver, Colorado. I'm continuing to find that out. More, more Russ, nice to meet you. Yay! Um, and they stream every Sunday on Facebook. Yes, people. We we have people watching from around the world on Sundays. So, what is the vision for Ramp? Our vision um, is to continue to be a training center of discipling individuals. Um, to continue to have a, a holistic church, to give people a holistic experience. So what we have in our church, we have a model called Acts 1 and 8. Well, he says, I'll cause you to be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. So at the ramp, we identify what Jerusalem is. Jerusalem is the capital. That's our church, the mother church. We want to make sure we're effective in ministering to the local church. Because you know, we have a global mission, mm-hmm. we have a global vision, but we don't believe that we should sacrifice our home to reach the world. Mm-hmm. And that's what we say to our, our, our couples and we say to our church. So then we believe that's Jerusalem. We believe Judea is our Lynchburg community. So through that, we, uh, we feed the hungry in our city. Uh, we, um, we help and we serve in the housing projects. We, we support the local schools. We, we eat lunch. We have a program and we go eat lunch. And we, at the beginning of every quarter, school quarter, the men of our church come and stand and celebrate the students as they go in to school. So that's just a few things. We do a lot in our uh, Judea. Then Samaria deals with the larger scope of the churches we cover and also issues that happen in our country and serving. And so um, we when things happen in Houston, Mm-hmm. We filled up when the flood happened in Houston. We filled up a tractor trailer right here in Lynchburg, and we went personally ourselves and went down there and served communities. And uttermost parts of the world is our global effect. We have a, a mission base, and we serve there in Hyderabad, India, and Sirtapay and Rajamandri there in India. Uh, also, we serve in Sao Paulo, Brazil, and we'll be back there in September. Uh, and, and the list goes on. I will be spending uh, Christmas in Guatemala mm-hmm. in the trash dump there mm-hmm. to the people who live there. Mm-hmm. So that's our vision. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other most parts of the world. Russ, you got something brewing there? Do you want to throw his way like a good question about vision and leadership? Please be nice to me. <laughs> yeah, all of these, all of this thing about me being some sort of uh, tyrannical quiz master is completely. All of that is completely false. Uh, <laughs> well, he continues to show me up, but that didn't take a lot. <laughs> but I know Russ has blessed me already sitting here. You all have said some things that when we get off air, I'm going to ask you. I need to write some of these things down. I need yeah. to add it to my repertoire. Russ usually throws some things into the chat. We'll look there too. So, Russ, what thoughts or questions do you have? Yeah, on the on the subject of vision, and vision is a global thing, and you know what what I see and where I've had a lot of problems myself, and what's becoming really obvious to me is that all of the problems that 
I'm seeing in society now are, are really predicated on this whole notion of separation. We got our group over here, there's that group over there. We're right, you're wrong. Uh, and there's this notion of separation that keeps us apart, that keeps us arguing, keeps us from having conversations with one another. On the other side, I'm starting to see uh, places where people who don't look alike are coming together. Uh, I belong to a, a beautiful little community, and I think of Dr. Karen, who's our head pastor, where I worship, having a vision about three and a half years ago. Uh, our church was in a little shopping strip mall, and she said, we are going to have a home for ourselves, and inside of three years, we moved into our new facility awesome. on Parker Road. It's a beautiful facility, and we welcome people from all faiths, and we've been working for the last maybe six to eight months. We started back in July, so it hasn't been very long, on a good to great vision. What do we want this church to look like? How do we want to show up in the community? And so it's not a huge congregation, but it's a very active one that provides services and that's plugged into the community. We're working on building that grander vision we're in the middle of the season of nonviolence, which runs from the death of uh, Mahatma Gandhi to the assassination of Martin Luther King. It's a 64 okay. day period. We're in the middle of that. And so on the 21st, we're gonna have a big celebration, uh, the 25th, 21st of March. And so, but it's all about finding ways to bring people from different views, different faiths, different race, different age group, there's no difference. We're all connected. And uh, so this is the big problem. How do you guys approach that down in Lynchburg? Because, the, you know, this, these differences are everywhere. How are you working at, at getting people who may have been like oil and water? Uh, what are some of the things you guys are doing to bring these people into the table and say, hey, wake up here. We got one tent here. Let's not fight yes, over Russ, You did it, Russ. That's all right. You did it. You 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 came very kind to me. But then you says, How are you guys in Lynchburg? <laughs> no, Russ, and I celebrate uh, what your church has done. And you said something. You says we're not a large church. And the truth is, I was working with an organization uh that like to uh, try to gear it in to make a church pastor so they could have a greater influence. And I was telling this nonprofit, I said, you have to realize the average church in America is only 70 people. Yeah. These mega churches are, are not the average. And, and I think sometimes we, we, we miss, we mislabel uh, mega church is not the size uh, of the congregation. It's the weight of the impact. And so, mm what your church is doing with nonviolence, oh my goodness, that is a mega church because that church has a mega impact. It's starting a ripple effect. And here in Lynchburg, I see the tides are turning. Lynchburg is a very, has become, especially because of the last election, has become again a seat of a political divide. Uh, we've gotten a lot of attention and what it has done, it has caused some things not to arrive in Lynchburg. I think it's caused some things to come to the surface. I think this would, and, you know, and uh, 
uh, I'm not a big social justice type of preacher. I have a great, strong social justice stance, but I kind of reserve that for other conversations and not the pulpit. But one thing I believe this last season has done has brought to the surface a lot of ideology and a lot of deep-seated mindsets that maybe we just looked over. And so when these things come, it's all about how you respond to it. And I am encouraged here in the city because I see people trying. Um, last On last Sunday, we had an event where the people in the city came together, churches came together. Um, again, on April 3rd, some churches are coming together on Martin Luther King uh, 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 to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the Martin Luther King speech. Uh, April the 6th and 7th, another group is spearheading something, coming together, talking about revival and social justice. And um, yeah, we are greatly divided in many ways. And I think we're learning how to celebrate difference. That difference doesn't always mean better. Mm-hmm. And it's hard for us to do that. I mean, because we've been programmed to think that. And when I say we, I'm putting myself in there. When you grow up in uh, certain ways, we started our movements and the premise of our movements was based upon what we do different than you. And that's why I always tell people, if Jesus would have only uh, healed by spitting on the ground, we would have a whole movement called spit on the ground and put it on your face and be healed churches of the living God international. And what I have begun to embrace Russell is that God always moves, but he doesn't always move the same way. God doesn't change, but he does change his methods. We have to be open to that. And I think conversations make you open to that. I mean, even just sitting here today, I've gleaned so much from you guys by sitting here today. But when I came here, I just ran from another interview with a rabbi, with a rabbi. And he's not a messianic rabbi. He's an orthodox rabbi. He doesn't believe Jesus is the Messiah. And guess what? That didn't throw me off. But he was able to teach me Old Testament scripture today. And so I think it comes to us. I think it starts with relationships, you know, not speeches. It starts with genuine relationships, sitting together, eating together, and hanging out with one another. That We're going to find out that you have the part that I need. Because sometimes what we need is not in our house, but our neighbor has the sugar. I hope I did. I hope I answered some of it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You just, um, lots of little tangents here we could, we could go on. But uh, being a leader is not just turnkey operation. And so you you started this church 13 years ago in your living room. Yes. And it's called the Ramp International. And you, just, you mentioned, <laughs> right. well, I'm coming. And I hadn't been nowhere. I hadn't been nowhere but Virginia, but it was international. Yeah, by the way, we're in Lynchburg, Virginia, not Tennessee. Right. <laughs> we don't make any whiskey. No. Well, okay. Oh, maybe we don't. I don't know. I haven't been here that long. I've been here since, uh, well, what, eight months now. Go out in the, go out in the county a little bit. Okay, I see. Okay. I'm just, uh, I'm, I, you know, there's scotch from my country of origin. Right, right, right. Um, we only drink it for medicinal reasons, I understand. Um, so um, I felt... When, when my wife and I came Sunday, um, we're, people listening to this could be years from when we were recording it, and I don't, but I'm going to talk about a couple of dates because there'll be reoccurring events. But we came Sunday. My wife is the deacon at the, at the 
the district office of the Methodist Church. Okay. Her job is revitalization. It's different from resuscitation, revitalizing 89 churches in the Methodist district here. And it's a new position for a clergywoman, and she's, it's like it was written for her. But we've found that uh, Lynchburg has been a very gracious, welcoming community for mm-hmm. both of us. And Sunday was no exception. There's something about the community at large. And so I know under the surface, there's people that, that have divisions. And of course, we have very conservative elements here and some liberals. And of course, they're on two sides of the fence. Right. And we read uh, Richard Rohr, who's a Franciscan. And he talks about, well, it's not dualistic thinking. It's let's, we got a Trinity here. Come mm-hmm. on, let's think about it. We got, we got more to this. So thinking about other options. And what, what we felt was there was, um, there was community at your church. Yeah. Was, and and I'm going to tell you where, where that comes from for us. Where's that? 95% of the members of our church are not from Lynchburg. Fascinating. Yeah. So 95% of our church don't forget, we started as college students who came here from other places. And we stayed and we grew up and started getting married and having kids. And then uh, as we, as our ministry travels and I have an itinerant ministry, many people started moving here because they believed in our church and what we were doing. So as you go around and talk, many people are here at the, in Lynchburg because they moved here to be at the ramp. And what that did is that now people are living away from their families. Mm -hmm. So now you're having children, you're having kids, and they need aunties and uncles. So it becomes a little complicated from the outside of the church because the kids call other members of the church their aunts and uncles, and they're not blood related. Because when you're here in Lynchburg in the middle of nowhere, you kind of build, they, people started building their own nucleus families from the church members. And uh, something that we, I had growing up in church and now is becoming obsolete and kind of primitive is we have church mothers at our church. So on, on, on Sunday, you'll notice on the second row, it's some older women that sit on that row oh. and they're church mothers. Oh. So they are the women that when a, when, a, when a lady needs someone to talk to or when a mother is having an issue with one of her kids. So that kind of where that family feels comes here at the Ram Church. We came in and we sat in the back, Russell, and one of the kind people said, oh, come up, we'll, we'll find you a seat. So we were up about row 10, mm-hmm. down front and center. And then um, one lady came by with these wax things for our ears. Because it was too loud for us old, oh, yeah. old people. <laughs> oh, so they they offer you. Like, that's it. That's right. I didn't quite get by the, without the age thing, Russ. <laughs> I always pull the age card. <laughs> and so he's going to go no. Um, and then and you didn't even ask for him. It's like, no, do you need, do you need no. something for your ears? No. Church is going to be loud. Yeah, it was. It was. It wasn't just amusing. It was just the energy there. Yeah. And then you're doing an altar call. We'd heard the sermon. We'd been there a couple hours, so we were going to kind of ease on out. No, elder somebody came and says, oh, we want to take you to where the new river reception is. <laughs> and I think everybody in the church came by there. Uh, oh, wow. And so it, it, we, we were Good like job, a church. part of that. Yeah, that's a sampling of somebody that's come random. Mm-hmm. We just showed up. And our friend introduced us. I said, well, I didn't know you were coming to church. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I didn't tell anybody. I just, we just decided. And so I went up, uh, when we had the greeting people, I went up and said, hey, I'm about to knock him off of the, off of the platform. <laughs> um, he uh, said, this, I'm Kevin's friend. And he jumped down and went to greet 
Leanne. And so uh, that was just part of the culture, mm-hmm. which now we, we teach one um, one thing uh, Richard says, Richard Rohr says, transformed people, transform people. Mm. So leaders want to transform ideas in reality. They want to transform others, but it starts with ourselves. Mm. You were, you were born with the, the passion for leadership. I find that at 71 years old, I'm learning every day. I am. Oh, wow. Scared you, didn't I? Oh, you look good, man. (laughs) Pull the H card, Russ. (laughs) So um, I, uh, I learned something from people. I learned things from you already. And we learn from each other Mm -hmm. and we never stop learning. So you took this, this, this ordination as a leader from your grandmother. That was your free ordination. She lives across the street from me. Oh, right. She, she's, we had, we had so many of us in one house at one time, but my grandmother orchestrated that house. My grandmother didn't go further than the third grade and she ran a business for years. Oh my. Yeah. So she's, uh, you know, my grandfather was there too. My papa, God bless his soul. He was there and he complained all the time, but she was the leader. She was like, go do this, do this, do this. And, um, she took three, she took two homes and put it together and made one house. She made it work. We had, uh, we only had a little, I told people, I think we were poor. I just didn't know it. Mm-hmm. Um, she stressed. So I saw that leadership in her. So she ordained me at a young age to me. I got it. I got yeah. it. So your wealth was in other areas, not mine. Yes. Um, yes. So as you grew into this mantle of leadership, mm-hmm. what was your journey like? It, to be able to claim the vision that claiming it and speaking it is one, right. one, one bit milestone. Then we got to make it happen. So uh, clearly your vision is active. That was very evident to me. So what was your growth curve? What was your, your, what were some of your challenges and how did you meet those challenges? Okay. My challenge was money. <laughs> my challenge is money <laughs> uh, because I have more vision than I have money. Uh, but I always realize where there is vision is provision and God will never call you to do something that you can do without him. And when we started and we finally got a little building in, uh, in hurt Virginia to have our church. And I never forget. I told God one day in prayer, I says, I'll be so glad when I finally get to a place where I don't have to need anything. You know, I could just write the check and it'd be done. And the Lord spoke to my heart and he spoke to me. I know it was the Lord laid this on my heart. He says, what you're really saying is that you want to get to a place where you'll never have to trust me. And he says, and I will never let you get there. Oh my. And so if it's comfortable for me, it's probably not God. Because it doesn't, until there's a resistance, there's no muscle mass built. And so um, I'm always being challenged with casting it. Because vision comes from God, but provision comes out of the earth. You know, we read Malachi chapter 3, that he's going to open up the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing. Well, I've never seen money come out of heaven. And if it did, it probably fell out of somebody's airplane. So... The vision comes from him, but the provision comes from the earth. And that's why it's so important for us to have it established what our vision is 
and be able to shoot it to someone within a matter of seconds because you may be talking to the person that's going to underwrite the next phase of your ministry. But if you, if you talk about it, if somebody says, what are you working on? What do you need? You're like, well, uh, what I really want to do, but uh, how much would it cost? Well, I'm not sure. No. If you ask me specific questions, how much it takes to budget for our church every month, what will it take place for our next phase of ministry? I can give you a nice ballpark figure because once you become one with that vision, mm -hmm. it's not going to work for you until you become one. If you still have an option, you're not in deep enough. yet. I don't have an option. Everything I got is in this. Mm -hmm. I don't have a backup plan. And I think that's why people follow me because I'm convinced about it. I had a pastor told me one time, he says, Bishop, I hope I don't offend you when I say this. When people say that, I'm like, okay, they're getting rid of me. <laughs> That's right. He, said, he says, but um, I think that if you jumped off of a bridge, some people from the ramp would jump off with you. Uh -huh. And I told him, I said, oh, wow, I'm not offended by that. I says, because it's true. I says, because those same people know that if they jumped off of a bridge, I would jump behind them too to try to catch them. Hmm. And I think as, vi as visionaries, you have that time where you have an opportunity to prove yourself to people by your actions. And then, hey, people will jump with you. And that's what I want. I want people who will jump with me. And so, uh, yeah. That's a trusted relationship. And it also takes over time, yeah. Well, and, and you spoke about uh, ministries based on relationship. Leadership yeah. is based on relationship. Um, communication is based on relationship. Financial results, you just articulated, right. is based on relationship. We have to be very clear, crystal clear in our vision. And um, <clears throat> James Allen in his little book, As a Man Thinketh, I don't know if you know that book, it's male-dominant language from the era, but he, in transposing the language, he, uh, he says that we don't attract what we need, we attract what we are. Ooh. And he also says that that people want to um, want to want to transform themselves. They want to change their results, but they're unwilling to change themselves. They therefore remain bound. So, how do you keep yourself in that that space of growing? What do you do to challenge yourself to grow? Okay. Now, you you had a meeting last night, the night before, and tonight um, with the rabbi right. at your church. That's being pretty open-minded. The non-Masonic mm -hmm. Orthodox rabbi mm -hmm. teaching the Old Testament. Right. And I'm kind of narrow-minded on some things. I'm, I'm pretty, I can be, when it comes to uh, fellowship and with anyone, I'm pretty open. When it comes to theology, probably, probably conservative. I can, I love theological circles, so I can discuss anything. But when it comes to my tenets of my faith, I'm I'm pretty hardcore on some things. Um, but how do I keep myself centered or? How do you, you the, we, we're always, if we're not growing, we're going the other way. Okay. So how do you, how do you nurture? We, there's a balance in how do we take care of ourselves emotionally and physically, but there's also how do we continue to grow our skill set? Okay. Our abilities. Accountability first. Mm -hmm. I, I'm a very strong proponent of accountability. That same pastor that I talked to you about when I was with him, he started his church. Mm -hmm. He is still my pastor today. Um, we meet regularly to, to discuss not what's going on with the ramp, but what's going on with the ramp's pastor. 
with me as an individual because the weight of leadership can be a lot on any normal person. You know, um, I don't know if you know this, but even over the last several months between 2017 and now, we've had 11 pastors in the United States to commit suicide. I haven't noticed. Yeah. No. There is a, wow. Uh, there's mental illness and different traumas and different ways we that we deal or don't deal with things. And so to make sure that I'm in a healthy, good place, uh, I talk to him. I talk to people. And then something that keeps me balanced as well is that when I look out in the audience in my church, my mother is sitting on the second row. On the other end of that row, my Aunt Peggy is sitting there. Uh, a row behind them is my Aunt Geneva. Two rows behind Aunt Geneva. Uh, well, it depends on where she's sitting. She usually comes to church late. It's my Aunt Hattie. And then on the other side is my grandmother, oh my. who's still been with me oh from the beginning. On the platform is Allison Rice, who's been with me since we were in high school. Okay. Um, my youth, the, my, one of my elders, who was my former youth pastor, I was her youth pastor at that first church. Those relationships keep me balanced because there are some individuals who will be so impressed by you that they won't challenge you. But I have some people who will, who will call me in to explain what I'm saying. And even with the vision, they'll say, okay, this is your vision. Okay, but, and it's okay. Because if your vision can't be challenged, it may not be a vision you should have. Wow, wow. So Russell, um, what jumps out of you as far as leadership topics here that we're, we're coming to the surface? Well, it all starts with, uh, with uh, taming that itty bitty committee between the ears. Uh, that, you know, that's, that's the conversations that we have to master. and We hold things against ourselves. You know, stuff like forgiveness, for example, that's a completely human concept. Uh, it's alien to God because he never holds anything against us in the first place. So, you know, I, I just think in this day and age, uh, the, the stuff that you're doing is remarkable. And I grew up, uh, you know, I was an orphan. I was adopted at about three months. So this whole concept of family is something that I've had to build. And, uh, you know, it, it starts in the heart mm -hmm. and fans out. How open am I to the people that I'm around? And uh, I've got family in many different shades and in many different places around the country. And so I'm out of the country and it, it's just a remarkable thing. And, and uh, uh, big brothers, big sisters, aunts, father figures, little brothers, sons, godchildren. There, you know, I have all of these types of people uh, in my life, and it's a remarkable journey. And the challenge is to keep my foot on the feet on the path. Uh, and what what trips a lot of leaders up, or certainly what's tripped me up, is this notion that whatever I bring forth, I have to somehow out of my own uh, limited resources come up with it and Thank make it happen. And that's a self-centered, ego-driven fear model yes. <laughs> that is running rampant in society and it stymies a lot of people. Yeah. But I was thinking back to this discussion on division and there are a lot of people that that we look at. And, you know, the people that have taught me the most are the people who've either been cruel or who've just been totally unlike 
me. And, you know, one of the challenges that we faced in the course that I took last fall was to find godlike qualities in people, uh, regardless of who they were. So we got, uh, we got three or four subjects, among them Joseph Stalin, Genghis Khan, and uh, Adolf Hitler. And, uh, and the fourth figure was Donald Trump. And I think more of the group had more trouble with Donald Trump because he's still around. But I'll tell you something, you know, he's got a lot of godlike qualities like the charisma, his ability to bring people together. Maybe not for a purpose I think is good, but he brings people together. Uh, what has happened is that a lot of these things that divide us, you know, we were patting ourselves on the back for a while, you know because we elected an African-American president. And oh, you know, oh, racism is dead. And, uh, you know, a whole lot of these conversations around how we view one another over the last 18, 20 months has started to come up. And this is stuff we like to neatly pat ourselves on the back and say, thank God we're all over that and we're above all of that, but we're not. And so we're having these tough conversations uh, you can't heal what you can't feel. So you've got to get all of this stuff out on the surface and have a place for people to have dialogue and discussion. And it's really funny how people uh, demonstrate this, this oneness because people get there, they argue and they fight and fuss over a lot of things. But when an earthquake hits or a hurricane hits, true. all of a sudden people forget that, oh, well, we don't like what this one, that one, or the other's doing. We come back to our true nature that is built into us, and we come together and do something to lift people up and to be of help to them. And we, we throw all of these petty divisions and this crap. Uh, off to the side when 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 the when the crap really hits the fan and we pull together and move each other up, that's our true nature. And you know whatever little political arguments that we have with each other, when the Houston happens, when the New Orleans happens, mm -hmm. uh, when the Three Mile Island happens, our true nature takes over, and we get in there and we start lifting each other up. And so I think we'll see more of that. But we can't deal with all of these other things unless we sort of look at them. So it's not living in the problem, but we have to recognize it in ourselves and around us and, and move toward that correction. And places like the ramp and my little uh, organization, New Dog, is part of uh, Centers for Spiritual Living. So that's a global movement. And so I think that our level of consciousness is starting to come up. And uh, for every example of people not being accommodating, there's an example of the accommodation. But there's no separation. There's one person that's put there. We get free choice, but there's no separation. Uh, you know, we like to, I like to cover up these less flattering aspects of who I am and, and not talk about them. But unless we get them out there and open and shine the light on them, and accept that as part of who we are. Even the most monstrous figures in history had godlike qualities. It was a really Excellent. good exercise to sit there and try to find those and look at those. Wow. And uh, you know, adversity just seems to bring out the best in us. It's really well, that's, strange. That's, that's a really interesting twist, Russ. So what do you think of that? God, God's created us all. Right.
We tend to want to talk about them. Yeah. <laughs> I've been to Mongolia, so <laughs> you brought up uh, Genghis Khan. Uh, wow. Yeah, I think, I think we can use that. Uh, even with conflict, uh, conflict uh, solutions with dealing with people in, in business, ministry, and companies, you know, what God-like character attributes. You know, if you want to practice and exercise, just look at the news every day. You'll get plenty of exercise. Uh, and, and when people want to complain about, of course, we always complain about our president. I don't care who it was. We always complain about him. And um, Trump gives us a lot of, a lot of fodder. But people complain. I say, well, are you praying for your leaders? Right. Starting with the president. Down. I say that as well. And and really, prayer isn't for them; it's for us. And there's that's a paradigm that's very interesting, Russell, because because God has God's God of everything, Lord of all, and God created everything. And who's for us to judge? Um, so looking for differences in people um, that are good. That's, that's a fascinating reposition. We have a lot of characters in the church. Right. You know, the people that criticize the church think it's a haven for saints, but it's a hospital for sinners. <laughs> it's a place. We just saw, I was just on a conversation about that yesterday. It's right. a hospital. Right. Oh, my word. So we're, 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 um, we're ramping up to the close here, right. <laughs> and uh, we like to keep them under an hour. And because people um, are faithful and listening and want to honor their time, and we've packed a lot into this. So what I'm going to ask you to think about as a parting thought around the vision, around leadership, mm -hmm. around influence. And I want to have a, a message about our sponsor. We we're, we can do these things for free because we have sponsors. And if you are a Christian leader and you want to work on your skill, one of our sponsors is UMC Cyber Campus, United Methodist Church Cyber, like on the internet, cybercampus.com. You can get programs to grow your skills there. UMC Cyber Campus, Cyber Campus. Sorry, it's it's everywhere, mm -hmm. and and you'll find Center Vision programs in there. And if you're a Methodist clergy, you can get continuing education credits, and we can we can work on others if you want to study. So for Christian leaders, Cyber Cyber Campus, UMC. Um, they're also sponsoring an event we're doing next week, and I'm um, I'm I'm. Uh, approaching the, the the topic with my new friend to come and be part of this okay. community gathering. I, I saw you one Sunday. The communities um, tend to be fragmented. Churches all meet at 11 o'clock on Sunday. We never mm -hmm. talk. Nonprofits are doing all their own stuff. We never really talk. So my goal is to get leaders together and deal with the tough topics. And in the South, we say uh, none of us is as smart as all of us. Mm -hmm. So we put that, we put that together. I'm a Southerner. I grew up in Atlanta. Sitting okay. at the feet of Martin Luther King, listening to him do his speeches. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was right there. Boom. Father lives in Congress. Yeah, yeah. So thinking about um, going forward, what, what thought do you want to leave with people as we bring this interview to a close? Great interview, by the way. Oh, praise the Lord. Uh, just real quick, I'll just say uh, as an encouragement to any leader, to anyone who's put their hand uh, to do something, just because it's hard does not mean it's not God. Some of our greatest seasons, some of our greatest moments are introduced to us in a form of a challenge. Mm -hmm. So let that challenge, instead of it being a sign that you shouldn't do it or you shouldn't try it, let it be your affirmation uh, that maybe this is God. You know, um, 
my story with our church has really come with many challenges. My life has come with many challenges, um, but it always works. Mm-hmm. It comes together. Mm-hmm. And I think sometime, um, as I said on Sunday, just got to stay in the sentence long enough. Mm-hmm. Conjunctions change the direction. <laughs> yeah, that was great. And um, that was great. It, your sentence can be saying one thing. It could be stating a true fact. But one word can change the whole direction. So sometimes you just have to stay in the sentence long enough to watch it all change. Yeah. Good words. Um, thank you for spending time. You were, you were very busy and a lot of things going on. Just got back from being away. Thank you for sharing with our audience and being our guest today. It was very meaningful. Thank you for having me. Thank you, sir. Nice meeting you, Russ. Great to see you. Great conversation. Looking forward to talking again. Sometime. Yes. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.